Great to be with you this morning, and Merry Christmas. We are excited to uh, celebrate the holiday together this morning. I'm going to be reading from John 1, verse 1. That's John chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to read along with me, you can turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, and we'll pick up in the first verse here in a moment as we contemplate and celebrate the beauty of what happened on Christmas when God became human for our sakes which is the theme that we've been exploring and celebrating together these last few weeks in our Advent series. If you've been around these last few uh, Sundays, you probably know that I was actually gone these last two Sundays on my first trip to the Philippines, where our family is hoping to move as missionaries next year. And I had an amazing time there in the Philippines, uh, bonding with the team that we're going to be a part of, and I preached in three different churches. I got to uh, officiate a wedding and lead a marriage retreat and do all sorts of stuff during the time that I was there. Uh, but I really appreciate all of you who have been supporting us and praying for us uh, through that process. We, um, yeah, really, uh, really meaningful time that we got to have there as we discerned what their vision is for the Philippines and how our family can aid in that uh, next year. I'm also still jet lagged. Uh, which has been really fun. So I've been up since 3 a.m., wide awake. Um, so if I'm more excited than you this morning, that's why. Um, but we are excited to celebrate Christmas together, and we're picking up in John 1, verse 1, where John writes this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for coming from the Father, from coming from this place of being God and uh, with God from all eternity and stepping into humanity, taking on uh, human flesh and blood, uh, the difficulty of being human in a fallen world, uh, and even a human name that You didn't bear uh, until this moment that we're celebrating this morning when You were uh, born and began to dwell among us in a unique way. And I pray that as we uh, think about what that meant then and what that means now and what that will mean for our future, uh, Lord, I pray that you would be here. Holy Spirit, would you meet with us? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to uh, see in, with more and more clarity 
uh, who Jesus is and, and what this means for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that exists was created by God, birthed out of his powerful word. And when God created the first humans, he placed them in a garden called Eden, where they would be with him and be his people, and he would be their God. And the image we get of that place is a free and open relationship that uh, they walked with God in the cool of the day. But the problem was that humanity didn't want God to be God. Instead, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to stand in his place and answer to no one. And so the light of the world, the very life that gives us life, the most beautiful thing in all of the universe was rejected in the name of independence. Creation rejected its creator. Humanity rejected its God, preferring instead to make gods of other things. This was a tragic moment in the human story, one that was marked by sin and death, and one that left us marked by sin and death. But rather than marking the beginning of God's judgments of humanity, instead, it marked the beginning of God's mercy and his pursuit of us. Humanity, God knew, would perish apart from him. And, and though uh, we were numb to that risk, though we sort of... Uh, didn't seem terribly worried about that ourselves, spending uh, eternity apart from him. God seemed to care more than we did, for he came in his great mercy to rescue us when we were numb, when we were in darkness, when we were in sin, at great cost to himself. He came for the wayward and the disobedient, to the very people who had rejected him, to fulfill this vision that he had of humanity that was laid down in the beginning. He continued to pursue people who were not his people in order to make them his again, in order to make them his people and to bring them home, to bring us back to the place where we belong, to bring us back into this garden-like temple that is flooded with the power and presence of God a place that is filled with his glory and his life and his light, an eternal place where we can be with him. And thus, through the story of Scripture, God pursued Abraham and Abraham's descendants after him so that they might be his people and he might be their God in a land that he would give them for all eternity. And when he frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he tells them, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And as God forms a covenant with them on Mount Sinai, he says again, they will be my people, and I will be their God. 
And as God spoke to them about the tabernacle or the tent of meeting that was to be constructed in their midst in the desert, and later when he spoke of the temple to be constructed in Jerusalem, he said, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not despise you, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. So here's an example, one example each from the first three books of the Bible, but it keeps going and going and going. There's this refrain or this theme in Scripture that God, in a redemptive way, is reaching out for people that are not His, bringing them into the fold, making them His own people because this is the desire of His heart. The desire of His heart is that we might be with Him, that we would be His people, and He would be our God. That's his heart toward us. That's his heart toward uh, humanity that's lost and broken. This is God's heart toward you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be your God. He wants to give to you the fullness of who he is. To repair what was broken. He has this desire to, to overcome sin, to overcome human rebellion, to repair the great rift, and, and to ultimately fulfill this vision that we would be his people and he would be our God. We would be in his presence uninterrupted forever. But in the long, sad history of the Old Testament, this proves to be easier said than done. Despite God's infinite goodness and mercy and light, despite his desire to share all that he is with us, humanity over and over again shows itself to be set in opposition to God. Our hearts are hard and cold toward God and the things of God. We constantly reject him for lesser things, things that are uh, more immediate, more accessible, uh, more visible, the things that catch our attention the passing pleasures of this world. These are the things that we're drawn to in place of God. So what we see through the story of Scripture is humanity clinging to lesser things, uh, refusing to trust that God is better than the things that we're clinging to, refusing to trust that God actually wants what's best for us. What we see in Scripture is that we're born in sin, covered in sin, by nature and by choice. And therefore, we are at odds with the uh, infinite holiness, purity, and righteousness of God. And while humanity uh, must have been tempted to just give up in the face of all of these obstacles, oh, it's never going to work. We're never going to be able to, to find our way back to God. We'll never be able to change our own hearts. There's no religious law on earth that could do that. There, there's no way for us to come back into God's presence and God's blessing. While humanity was flailing and giving up and sometimes not even trying, uh, God was unwilling to give up. He was unwilling to let us go. And so in his infinite wisdom and his infinite mercy, he devised a way to save humanity, to save us from the power of sin, to save us from the power of death, to save us from hell and judgment, to save us from ourselves. And God began to speak in advance through the prophets of a new day that was coming and a new covenant and a new way that he would uh, relate to people, a day in which we would be purified somehow and made holy 
a day in which we would be sanctified and reborn and adopted into the family of God, fully accepted by him. And he spoke of it using these words. This is one of the places he, he speaks of it. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be soft-hearted toward me. And then here it is, this refrain that keeps coming back again and again. They will be my people, and I will be their God. That's his desire. But before that could happen, God himself had to come into humanity. How will, we, how will this vision be accomplished? How will we become his people and he will be our God and will be free and open and accepted in his presence? Well, first, God himself has to come into humanity. This is from the verses we read this morning. John says it this way. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's saying the Word, that's Jesus, the eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God, became flesh, became human on that first Christmas to dwell with us. Uh, just as Eden was like a temple that was full of God's spirit and presence, the tabernacle was like a temple that was full of God's spirit and presence. The temple in Jerusalem was a temple that was full of God's spirit and God's presence. Uh, John's saying in the same way, God was coming tangibly to dwell with humanity in a specific place. Not in a garden or a tent or a temple, but in a person. In fact, this phrase that John uses in, John, uh, in uh, verse 14 can literally be translated, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. He came to dwell among us so that we might be his people and he might be our God. Which is why scripture says, the virgin will give birth to a son, and you will name him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That same refrain that's mentioned over and over again throughout scripture. God's heart, that he might be with us, and we might be his God. John says, we've seen his glory just like you might have seen it in the temple or the tabernacle, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We've seen his glory, not in a temple behind a curtain, but in a manger in Bethlehem, in flesh and blood. John was able to say, behold, the glory of God in this baby. 
not in a, behind a curtain or a tent or a temple, but in a body that could bleed, in a heart that could break. And in order for us to truly be God's people and for him to really be our God, not just in pretense, but thoroughly, through and through, authentically, sincerely, down to the very core of who we are, in order for that to be true, first his body would have to be broken and his blood would have to be shed. In dying on the cross for human sin, the God-man Jesus was able to accomplish God's deepest desire and our greatest need at the same time. Atoning for human sin, cleansing us and forgiving us and all who come to him so that we might might be reborn as new creations, as new people, as his people, so that we might be holy and blameless, so that we might have a sense of, of freedom in his presence. For what we see throughout the Old Testament is that we cannot dwell with him when we're full of sin when we're full of disobedience in our old creation selves, we cannot dwell with him. Instead, we need to be cleansed and freed from sin and made new again. We need to be reborn as children of God, filled with the Spirit, so that we can honestly say at last, no, I was purchased by God. I belong to God. I was not among his people, and now I am among his people. because." of what Christ has done. Our old creation selves must be put to death so that the new creation can be born. Jesus had to come and be with us on that first Christmas in order to make a way for us to come and be with God so that he might fully and finally be our God. The book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, gives us a powerful glimpse of the future. What will happen at the end of the age? What will happen when Jesus returns to judge the earth? Well, all who have uh, rejected him and rejected his atoning death and his resurrection, all who have rejected his forgiveness, will stand in their sin. They'll be judged in their sin and experience what Scripture describes as the second death in that judgment. This was humanity's fate. This is what we all deserved. No one will stand before God on that day and be able to say, I don't deserve this. Because all of us do. But by coming to tabernacle among us, by becoming flesh and blood on Christmas Day, a way was opened up for us to receive something greater. John says, to all who did recognize him, to all who have placed their faith in Jesus, to all who have uh, believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Not because of work not because of your morality, not because you've earned something, but purely by his grace. 
And for those who accept him, who repent of their sin and their old lives, who take on the new, who receive the righteousness that God has prepared to give as a gift, a different future is secured for us, not by works or our own striving, but by grace. This is a glimpse of that future from the very end of Scripture on the last few pages. Starting in Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And there were open books, and one of them was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their deeds, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead, and each one was judged according to his deeds. Then death and Hades themselves were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone was found whose name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Listen to this language. The dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The verses go on to describe that world and the first glimpse John has of it, what it might look like. But notice that from the opening pages of Scripture to the final pages of Scripture, God's desire, God's heart, God's vision has always been the same. It was the same in Eden as it was in the Old Testament, as it is in the New Testament, as it is at the end of the age and into eternity. it's It's these words that are written here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In the end of everything, at the culmination of everything, when God's will is fully and finally done, when evil has been wiped away, and those who have received God have awoken from the dead, we will step into something that is beyond our comprehension, beyond our wildest imagination, beyond what we could even invent in our minds, something beyond anything we have tasted in this life. Unending beauty and grace and wholeness and healing and pleasure. Not the shadowy pleasure that we chase in this world, but the deep, rich satisfaction and joy that we yearn for 
and so often look for in the wrong places. John says, that, that's what's waiting. That's God's heart, is that none would perish, but that everyone would receive the, this God who stepped into humanity, that everyone would receive Christ who stepped into humanity on Christmas. And, and as he came from heaven down to earth and opened up this way, that, that we might walk that path that he's opened up for us, that we might come back to God through the way that's been opened. Revelation tells us a day will come when at last that vision will be fulfilled. One day we will be God's people without sin, without opposition, without distraction, without resistance. We will fully and finally be God's people and we will be with him. Are we God's people right now? Absolutely. Is God with us right now? Absolutely. Paul says right now we see in part, we perceive it in part. We we have this tiny little taste. We have this tiny little sampling of, of what's waiting for us. It's like having a little thimble of water. And John's saying, one day that dam is going to break open. And, and the, the glory and the presence of God is going to cover the new heavens and the new earth, the way that the waters cover the sea. We'll be absolutely filled, soaked in his presence. He says, one day you will see God. You'll literally see him in all of his glory, in a new resurrection body that can actually behold that type of glory. We will be with him, and he will be our God. And there, in that place, on a throne, ruling and reigning for all eternity, you will see the Lamb. The one who took on flesh and blood, looking as if he had been slain. ruling and reigning over his new creation. This is God's great plan, and it's our greatest desire that Jesus, the one born on Christmas, the one who was slain for us, the one whom we know in part and see in part, will at last be fully and finally known. One day we will stand before him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and Savior. No longer known in part from behind a veil, but at last known fully and face to face. And we will be able to see, we we will be able to say, we are God's people. God is with us. He is our God. He will at last on that day, fully and finally be Emmanuel, God, with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he was willing to come from the highest place all the way down to the lowest place not just being born into humanity, but being born 
to a teenage mother out of wedlock with all of the, the stigma that came with that. And, and one who is willing as the lion to be led humbly like a lamb to the slaughter. That not only did you come from heaven to earth, but within earth you went to the lowest of humanity that you were uh, crucified like a slave for our benefit. And as we think about your humility and being born into humanity, as we think about the hope that came on Christmas Day, when we were no longer left to our own devices, when we were no longer left under the power of sin, when we were no longer lost in the dark without a light to show us the way, when we think of that hope being birthed, Lord, we see your heart for humanity. We sing that song sometimes, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. And Lord, that's what we celebrate on Christmas is that you um, cracked open a way for us to be with you, that this vision for humanity could at last be realized. You would say, I, I will make them my people who are not my people. A light will shine out in the darkness. Hope will come to the most hopeless of people because it's not based on works or morality or religious law. It's based on me sacrificing myself for you. It's based on what was made possible when I was born Christmas morning. So we praise you, Lord, for the nature of the salvation that you've made available to us, for the hope that began on Christmas, that a people living in darkness at last saw a great light, and that all who come to the light are welcomed in, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. So we praise you, Lord, for that hope. Would you come? Would you be with us? Would you speak to us now as we worship you, as we contemplate the beauty of Christmas? Lord, I pray if there's uh, any here this morning that have yet to give their lives to you, to trust in what you've done instead of what they do, God, I pray that they would do that this morning as we uh, lay hold of and celebrate the incredible hope that we have in you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. It's in your name we pray. Amen.